Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. You can open the Pew Bible that is in front of you to page 858, one of our new Christian Standard Bibles, or turn on your uh, turn in your Bible uh, or turn on your devices and join us there. As you, if you're joining us for the first time today, we're going through the series on the Beatitudes, hashtag blessed. Last week we learned that if we are poor in spirit, we receive the kingdom. See, the Beatitudes are characteristics of God's people, that we understand that there is nothing within us, that is when God answers and blesses us. Today, we want to continue looking through Beatitudes in a more emotional state. That mourning leads to comfort. Join me there at the beginning in verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let us pray. God, we pray today that we would see ourselves for who we truly are, that we would not be confused by this world, not be confused by our flesh, but instead understand who we are before you, a holy God. And as we read your word, use your spirit to change our lives, change our minds, and to agree with you that our only hope is your son, Jesus. We pray this in your name, in his name. Amen. Becky Pippert is an author of many great books on evangelism. and In one of her books, she was talking about how she was watching the news. She was cooking. And as she was cooking, the typical news, evening news was on. And as you, is common today, there's a news or story about somebody in a far-off land, a bunch of killings. It was, it was really a gruesome video. She was mixing things up, doing business, and she didn't realize that her three-year-old daughter had crept into the room silently. And after a minute, she looks up, and, and uh, the daughter is watching this go on, and she says, Mommy, why are they so bad? Why are they so mad? Where is their mother? Well, she actually, after she heard this, she ran up, turned the TV off because she had suddenly realized something, she said. It took a truly fresh, objective eye to see something we all should know. That is, the human existence is an appalling condition. And, and we watch videos like this on the evening news and on the internet, and sometimes it was just, we have become desensitized to the evil and sin in the world. And we're, we're so used to it, we don't even blink at it. But we, re, we forget how appalling it is, and we don't even want to admit how bad it is. But the daughter realized this. Where is their mother? How could anyone behave in this way? You see, the most thoughtful people, the artists, poets, they go crazy over these types of questions. Why is everyone so bad? Money or 
religion? Is it, what is the cause of this? But also the world wants to know what it means to be happy. They search psychiatrists, art, fame, and treasure. They realize that the world is bad. They want to find a way to blessing. How do they get there? How do we get there? And Jesus says those are not the answer. Jesus teaches to be blessed. You must mourn. As we've been reading the Beatitudes, there is actually an order to it. Jesus did not just pull random characteristics out of a hat and do his sermon. He always did things with purpose. When he healed, it was with purpose. It was to teach. When he went to places, it was on purpose. In the same way as he preached, there was an order to this. The first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, is primarily intellectual. It is those who understand that they are spiritual beggars. They are spiritually bankrupt. There is nothing within them that makes them acceptable to God. When they do, they are blessed. The second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. It's its emotional counterpart. It naturally follows when we see ourselves, when we see who we are, it is our emotions being stirred to mourning. That you realize that the problem with the world, the problem with why things are so bad is you too. I am the problem. You're the problem. So how do we find happiness? We mourn. We receive comfort. We receive joy. So let's learn from verse 4 how we can be blessed by mourning. The first that we learn is this. Mourning comes from an admission of sin. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourning in the original Greek is the word pentheo, to experience sadness or grief as a result of a depressing circumstance, a condition, or person. This reference in Matthew chapter 5 is not grieving or mourning the dead, just like being poor in spirit has nothing to do with finances. It is not about grieving the dead, but rather sadness and grief caused by wickedness and oppression. The world answers the reason for this feeling. Are the reason why we are so bad for each other. Why are we so flawed? Why is there such havoc? Everyone has to find some reason. Some people blame class struggle. Some people blame the evolutionary process. Some people say it's low self-esteem. I've heard people say it's because uh, this person only had one parent. I could give you a million of examples where someone raised with both parents went on to do very despicable bad things. Some then say it was because their parents were tough on me. I could give you a million examples, however, that there are many very good, gracious, loving parents and where their kids ended up doing very bad things. So where did they get it? Where did they come from? This is where verse 4 comes in, that a Christian knows the problem and is overwhelmingly sad about the problem. They admit the problem is sin. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and all alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. To mourn is to admit full well our true state before God as a sinner. We try to avoid admitting this, but we know the symptoms. For example, my wife knows how bad I am at this. She knows that I'm not good at this. When we hear noises in the car, 
We've had to have a lot of things done with our car. And so maybe it's because I don't want to admit that there's something wrong with the car, but we'll be driving along and Sarah will say, well, don't you hear that noise? I'll say, what noise? I don't, I don't hear anything. She says, don't you hear that noise? You know, that, that grinding when you turn the corner there? Oh, that's nothing. That's not, that's the the music, she turns the music off. Says, no, that's not the music. Look, look that is, <laughs> there's something wrong with the car. Or is, maybe, what's that clunking sound? That's not a clunking sound. There's potholes. I mean, there's potholes everywhere here in northern Kentucky. <laughs> it's not the pothole in the street. See, maybe I just don't want to admit how serious things are with a car in the same way most of us don't want to admit that we're poor in spirit. I don't want to get to the place where I say, this is beyond me. I don't want to say, I don't understand what's going on. But friends, it's not enough just to know the symptoms. You have to know what's wrong. If you want your car to be fixed, you have to go get it diagnosed. If you want something wrong with your body or whatever aches and pains you have, you've got to go and Find out what the disease is. What is the problem? The, the Bible says the dis- disease in us is sin. Once we realize the problem, we are overwhelmed with the wickedness and its meaning in our lives. But not that someone's doing it all. It's, it's us. It's ourselves. Sin is an inflicted death. Sin is a self-inflicted death that kills us and separates us from the joy of knowing God. Sin is a self-inflicted death that kills us and separates us from the joy of knowing God. So we mourn. We also mourn its effects on the world around us. Psalm 119, 136 says, My eyes pour out streams of tears because people do not follow your instruction. We despise what it does to our relationships. We we despise what it does to people. We cry because the effects of sins on our friends and family and the world. We don't like to admit it. We are sinners. But friends, this is the first step to joy. Why? Because Jesus says later in his sermon on the mount, take out the plank in your eye before pointing out the speck in someone else's. Jesus is not speaking here not to judge, no, not in the sense that the world thinks, but instead he is teaching us what to do when we are disagreeing or have something wrong with another one. We take the plank out of our eye. We have to understand our own sin, that it's the worst, it's the most, because if we take care of this, it is what is affecting this situation as well. It's not just the other person's fault. If you've been married for a year or so, you realize that our perceptions and expectations drive most of our disagreements. But it's also your own sin makes sin seem worse. So we have to take and admit our own part. So admitting our problem is sin and mourning over its place in our life is the first step to joy. Mourning comes from the admission of sin. But number two, mourning is a realization of what sin means to God. Mourning is a realization of what sin, sin means to God. I believe that many times, even when we admit our sin, we are personalizing the sin and not looking at how it affects 
God. I had a conversation with Franklin, his parent. You've probably had one of these before. It's a more of a preemptive conversation, not one that he was actually doing something wrong, but just in conversation, trying to set some things, some truths in Franklin's life. I was talking to Franklin about the reason we do good is not because we don't want to get caught from mom and dad, because we want to do right by what God says. See, God already sees everything. He sees everything so that he already knows when we sin. So we can't hide it from God. But secondly, no matter what we did, we sin against God first and worst. No matter if we lied, got angry, stole, we broke his law. We offended a holy God. And there's a reason why the Bible says that he has set his wrath against us because he, because we have hurt him. First and most, we have turned from his ways, his being, his holiness. He is whom we have sinned against. It's Mother's Day. (laughs) And, you know, there were times when I was a child that I knew I'd really disappointed mom. It's the hardest thing. You know, you can get in trouble. You can you get in trouble. You get in, things taken away. You get spanked, whatever. But you really know when something you have done has disappointed mom. You know, she's always your cheerleader. She's your hero, her fixer. And when she's upset, it hurts you. It hurts you because she has been disappointed. We should be even more mournful of our sin against God. The Bible says it is this which draws us to comfort. How? Because true repentance is when you are repulsed in, in and how your sin is against God. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10 says... I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you grieved as God's will, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. Friends, we must come to the place where we realize that God has been harmed. God's heart has been broken that our sin is against his holiness that we grieve that we have gone against the one who has made us who has saved us who has loved us that this grief drives us to reject sin if you are struggling with sin you will not only get forgiveness from god when you admit your sin but without grief over your sin you won't get relief either here's an example that is anchored in real life Two men come before God because they've been exposed in their sexual sin. Both have hurt their families. Both have lost their jobs. Both have suffered financial loss. Both have incurred damage to their reputations. In so many ways, their stories are identical and all too common. Yet their reaction to their situation is so different. The first man cries out to God. He confesses his sin. He admits his wrongdoing. But he remains completely self-focused. He grieves over his losses. 
He bemoans the unfair treatment he has received from others. There's no brokenness over his sin, no grief over God, godly grief over his sin. Finally, he plunges into self-pity and despair and goes and sins again. Second man, however, is totally different. He cries out to God, begging for mercy, for his sins are an affront to God himself. He pleads not for himself, but for his wife and children. He knows that the losses he has incurred have hurt others, but are the just due for his sins. He begs for forgiveness because he misses fellowship with God. And he comes to understand that Jesus has paid for his sins with his blood. He has a true change of heart. He hates the sin that he once cherished. By faith, he receives God's forgiveness and is cleansed and is restored. Friends, godly sorrow realizes there is nothing I can do to atone for my mess. And when you're at the end of your rope, you know that you are ready for a Savior. Friends, it is admitting your grief, admitting your sin as against holy God that drives you to mourn the sin within you. But there is a promise. The promise leads us to number three. Mourning leads to comfort in the cross of Jesus. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Paul says in Romans 7, 24 through 25, What a wretched man am I! Who will rescue me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How can Paul pray this way? How, how wicked am I? How wretched am I? Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's acknowledgement of his wretchedness drives him to the one who receives he can receive comfort again this phrasing that the blessed is only those who mourn because they and only they will receive comfort those who aren't drawn to jesus then they are drawn to things that don't bring comfort they think a new friend will cover up the pain but the same problems arrive they realize the problem's not their friend it's them they think maybe more money will cure the anxiety over money, but they still have issues that will not satisfy. They think of a different spouse. They're having struggles in their marriage. A different spouse will change their issues, but they drag those same sins into a new marriage and the same problems happen. Or maybe a new job will satisfy your heart, but you realize it's not a new job. It doesn't satisfy. Where does true comfort come from? It comes from Jesus. He gives us comfort now knowing that we are not controlled by sin, but we live, we are free to live by his word. We are free from guilt knowing that he loves us. He says his burden is light, that one day he will wipe away the tears from our eyes. No pain or suffering. We will no longer be affected by sin or be in a world controlled by it. This is true comfort. How can he do this? How can you receive comfort? You accept the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ became the man of sorrow so that you could receive joy. He took on the sins of the world, was nailed to a cross. Even though he was perfect, 
He took the wrath and, and paid the penalty that you could not pay by dying on the cross. And after dying, he was raised to life. And the Bible says that those who truly mourn, those who truly trust in the work of Jesus are born again. Have you repented and believed the gospel? Have you turned to the one who can only bring you comfort, the one who has died on the cross for you? If you do, you are free to pursue and are restored to God and his ways. You are comforted. Once known as President Nixon's hatchet man, Chuck Colson gained notoriety at the height of the Watergate scandal for being named as one of the Watergate Seven. He pleaded guilty obstruction of justice. But very little people know that the judge was actually about to throw out the case against him. But he get, instead, he worked a deal to plead guilty. And after seven months in prison, he started prison fellowship ministry that was known for leading thousands to the Lord. Why would we, why would we, why would he almost be freed from charges and yet admit his guilt and serve penalty? Why? Because a year before his prison sentence, someone had shared with Chuck Colson a C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity. And after reading it, he came to faith in Christ. He describes that night. He says, that night when I sat alone in my car, my own sin, not just dirty politics, but the hatred and evil so deep within me was thrust before my eyes forcefully and painfully. And for the first time in my life, I felt unclean. And worst of all, I could not escape. In those moments of clarity, I found myself driven irresistibly into the arms of of a living God. Charles Colson followed his mourning to God. And so can you. Be comforted now. Do you need true comfort today? Do you feel like in your life that you are mourning and mourning and, and, and not being satisfied in your sin? You know that your sin is an in, bottomless pit of despair Friends, do not leave here today and not be comforted. Turn to Christ. If you have not had a personal relationship walk with Jesus today, you can repent and trust in his work and finally find the comfort you've been looking for for all of your life. Godly grief leads to repentance. Do you admit that your sin is against a holy God? Do you believe the work of Jesus has paid for your sin? Believe and be saved. For believers, do you still, your see, see, do you still see your sin? And are you comforted by the cross? Is your honesty with sin allowing you to be free in your daily life? Are you admitting quickly the sin and admitting them publicly as well as to God? Maybe there's something that you need to mourn today. This I know, that Jesus is waiting to comfort you. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. Let us pray. Oh God, we call out to you in our sinfulness, knowing that we are the seriousness of our sin is against you, a holy God. We know that it is by your mercy and grace and love towards us that you sent your Son, and we believe that he paid for the penalty so that we might be free. I pray, Lord, today that if there's someone here that you, in your mercy and grace, will bring them to salvation by bringing them to faith, by bringing them to repentance, by giving them a new life, and by faith they will believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are believers today, Lord, we pray that we would see the seriousness of sin in our lives, that we would not allow it to camp in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our families, that we would quickly repent, that we would quickly confess. And Lord, we know that those who mourn will be comforted. Comfort us in our sin only through Jesus Christ. We pray today, Lord, in his precious name. Amen.